Hello, and welcome to the Renaissance Podcast. Thank you for joining us to worship and learn more about God as we all pursue Him together as a community. For more podcasts and services about past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendecatur.org. Or come connect with us in person on Sunday mornings in downtown Decatur. Now, enjoy the message. morning. My name's John, and today our scripture reading is in Luke chapter 7, 1 through 10. After he'd finished all his sayings and the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I didn't presume to come to you but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I, just, I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those had been sent, returned to the house, they found the servant well. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Joe, and I have the pleasure of leading a Bible study on the passage that John just read to us. First, I want to tell you a little story. A few weeks ago, about three weeks ago, I got a text message from a lady that I used to work with about a decade ago. We worked together longer than a decade ago, actually. And in this text message, she said, Joe, some of us are getting together tonight uh, uh, from the old workplace, uh, kind of like a reunion, and we're all just going to hang out together. We're going go to the uh, Mexican place on 36 on the way to the airport. If you want to meet us there, that'd be great. There'll be about eight or 10 of us. And I'm like, bet. I said, sure, I'll be there. Then I texted my wife, is it okay if I go do this? And she said, no. And I went anyway. I'm just kidding. She said, of course, of course it is. And so, and so I get there and in the parking lot is my uh, buddy, Matt, who uh, he and I lived together for a uh, about a decade as well. And we also used to work together at this place. So he'd been invited to, and we walk in and Matt and I are the only two guys in the group. And out of everyone else, only one of them is not retired. She's almost about to be retired. So we're hanging out with the golden girls. These are my people. The golden girls are my people. And so I really think the reason they invite us along is because they closed down the bar and they need some DDs who are there and they know that we, we Matt and I could be uh, those drivers for them in case they need it. It's a wild bunch, I gotta tell you, and it's a lot of fun that we have. But while we were there, 
One of my friends um, who I'd used to work with begins to tell me this story about a year ago, her husband had a little bit of chest pain and some shortness of breath. And so they went to the emergency room like you do if that happens. And they're sitting in the emergency room for like six hours. And he's feeling horrible the entire time. They were so busy and so understaffed that they, they weren't able to attend to them immediately. And so obviously all of the, the issues that, that he was feeling and then wondering, am I going to get taken care of? And an anxiety coming on top of that can make you feel worse in those situations. And while all this is happening in the midst of all these other sick people who have these things going on, there's a guy, she says, who's in the waiting room of the emergency room who like starts doing yoga poses in front of everybody. A hospital is a weird place, like especially after dark, like it just gets weird. And, and, and he's doing yoga poses and stretching, but not in a corner, like in the middle of chairs, as though he's trying to teach yoga class here in the emergency room. Well, well, somebody decides he needs help and maybe not the kind that we can give him here in the emergency room, so we should probably go help him. So they thought the right kind of help he needed was security, which I don't know that that's true or not. But they send security over to help this guy out, and he's really not obeying like he's got a class to teach he's like I'm I am here and I'm dedicated and these people are going to learn downward dog if it's the last thing I ever do and and they keep trying the security officers and, and the off-duty police officer who's employed by the the emergency room to to be in there as well they're all trying to to get this gentleman to uh, move himself to a place where it's maybe a little bit more dignified for him to practice his yoga and uh, my friend who was there said that while all this is happening Something that the uh, uh, gentleman who were trying to help the yoga instructor kept saying was, this is way above my pay grade. <laughs> this is way, I'm not, I'm not carrying this guy out of here. This is above my pay grade. She, she said that they just kept saying that over and over, over again, above my pay grade. And she, the lady who was telling me this was actually our boss of the entire group who was there. She, she turned to all of us and said, could you imagine if any of you have ever told me that? Let me tell you about this lady. She's pretty tough. None of us would ever have said, I'm sorry, that's, a, that's above my pay grade. I, won't, I, I wouldn't do that. And, and, and maybe it's just the way I was raised or, or maybe it's the, uh, that I'm just becoming an old guy now and I belong with the Golden Girls. I don't know what it is, but that's just not a thought that would cross my mind. Well, I'm just not gonna do this kind of task that's coming before me. But they kept saying that, like that's, that's way above my pay grade. Well, fast forward, to make a really long story short, her husband was actually dealing with a severely clogged artery um, that he ended up needing surgery for. And two weeks later, they're sitting in, in, a, in the surgeon's office. And the surgeon says to them, do you believe in God? And they said, yeah, yeah, we do. And he says, well, you, you should believe in God because he's the only reason you're sitting here right now. Now, thankfully, they had the yoga to instruct to distract them from the fact that he could have died. But, but the surgeon point was, was that there's no reason you should be alive. You should have died in the emergency room that night because, because of how severe the blockage was. I don't know how you're still alive except for the fact that there's probably someone who, who has more authority and capability than I do to help you in this situation. Sir, your ailment was way above my pay grade to handle. I couldn't touch what you had going on. In the story that John read to us, we read a situation about a man, 
a centurion, and I'll talk a little bit about what that is, who had a very serious problem that he was dealing with. See, my friends who were sitting in the emergency room didn't understand how serious their problem was while they were there. They were just being entertained by this guy who was doing his thing. They, they didn't understand that, that his life was hanging in the balance. This centurion knows that this is a very serious matter, what he's dealing with. It, it tells us that, that he's so sick, he's about to die. Like they've called in the priest for last rites. He, his life is hanging by a thread and they know that this is the case. So what does the centurion do? He sends people to go take care of it. Now, if you are in a position of authority, uh, you have a certain level of responsibility, there are maybe things that, that you have other people that can take care of some things for you. Like you don't do everything yourself. You have people you can delegate tasks to, and you definitely should do that. But there are some situations and some circumstances that, that no matter how much responsibility you have, no, no matter where you are on the food chain, some situations you just know, I've got to take care of this myself because it's so serious and so delicate. I believe that this is one of those situations where the centurion probably should have taken care of it himself. He's trusting other people to go to Jesus and ask Jesus to come and heal this man. How does he know that they're actually going to follow through? In my mind, he should have just gone himself and asked Jesus. Now we learn about a centurion this centurion that he obviously has enough wealth and authority to command or send other people to two tasks for him. In that time, a centurion would have been a Roman soldier, the essentially the highest non-commissioned officer in the Roman army. If you were just a commoner and you entered the Roman army and you'd worked your way up the ranks, centurion was the highest rank that you could attain to at that point. And they were very well respected, especially by the men they commanded. And they commanded a group of men, about a hundred or so strong, which is where they get their name, Centurion. If you think about a century being a hundred years long, Centurion is a man who commands a hundred troops. And so they had the, the respect of their men. And one of the reasons why the Roman army was so effective for so many years was that the orders from the Centurion to the, the common soldiers were always obeyed. They didn't ask questions. They didn't want to know, well, why are we doing this? Well, well, what's the, what's the goal of our mission? They, they didn't ask questions. They just obeyed. And that's why they were so effective because they all worked together as a unit and there was strict discipline that, that they had in the Roman army. And it was all centered around the authority of these centurions. So this guy obviously has some power, and authority, but he still, instead of going himself, he uses his power and authority and sends other people. This time we learn in the, the first group of people, he sends two groups of people. The first group of people he sends are some of the elders of the Jews. And just as a quick aside, I couldn't help but see this as I was reading this passage and studying for this, that, that just like the guy sent people to Jesus, the centurious, centurion sent these elders of the Jews to Jesus, it's so important for us to have some people around us that we can send to Jesus on our behalf. You gotta, if you don't have people you can call to pray for you, you gotta get some of those people. You, you got to know who those people are. You got you to get to know some people that you know. You can call them, and they will pray for you. 
That's just an aside. That's free. You don't even have to pay for that part. Get yourself some people around you that you can send to Jesus on your behalf. Now, the reason why I think that the centurion should not have sent those people, and this is just my, here I am trying to judge a, an officer in the Roman army 2,000 years ago for a choice that he made. But, but I, I think sometimes there are situations that are just so drastic and serious, you just got to go take care of them yourself. You, you, you just don't depend on what other people are going to do, if they're going to follow through for you in that I was reminded of a situation when I was younger, and I've told this story before, but you'll have to deal with it again. And some of you are new, so it's your first time. But when I was about five years old, and my brother was maybe three, he got his knee stuck in the rails of our bunk bed that we shared. And if you just can imagine the scene, my brother is screaming his head off as though someone is sawing his leg off. And my mom is screaming her head off as though someone is sawing my brother's leg off because her baby is in danger somehow. And my dad is the only one who has the sense enough to come in and, and assess the situation. And he turns to me who doesn't really know what's going on. Obviously, my brother's leg's gonna get cut off because why else would my mom be acting the way that she is? So I'm just scared at what's happening. And my dad turns to me and says those three little words that every dad says when they have a child whose leg is caught in rails. Get the butter. <laughs> get the butter. I'll go get the butter. So I run from the bedroom and I run down the hallway and I run to the fridge and I open up the fridge and I pull out the margarine tub and I run back down the hallway and I trip in the hallway and I fall down and the tub opens. Let me back up just a minute. We grew up Poe. And, and what I mean by that is, like, we reused a lot of stuff. So, like, if you, like, go through a mayonnaise jar and you, it's empty now, you can wash it out, and that's a nice glass that you can put some tea in for company when they come over, okay? All right, you, you finish a Cool Whip tub, like, that's a cereal bowl now. Like, you, 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 don't even, you don't even have to go to Tupperware. You don't even have to go to Target and get the really nice stuff that you can put on your table. You just use the stuff that you got. We did that all the time. Our Tupperware was old butter tubs. Well, I wasn't thinking that in the moment. All I was thinking was, I got to get the butter. So I grabbed the butter, running down the hallway, fall down, not knowing that this Tupperware was full of stewed tomatoes. And when I tripped and the butter tub opened and the tomatoes spilled all over the floor in front of me, I made this noise like, ah. Uh. <laughs> because tomatoes, and my mom pops out of the room and she sees me on the floor. She hears my wince and she sees me on the floor and the tomatoes on the floor and she screams, Joe has exploded onto the floor. And my dad comes out, he pokes his head out and he just instantly, it's tomatoes and marches around me and goes and gets the butter because you don't send a boy to do a man's job. <laughs> Sometimes you just have to take matters into your own hands. That's what I think this centurion should have done. He should have taken this into his own, into his own hands because what if, these, what if these elders of the Jews get distracted along the way and they decide they're not gonna talk to Jesus? What if this is Friday afternoon, the Sabbath is creeping up, we don't know what day it was. The Bible doesn't tell us. 
What if it's Friday afternoon, the Sabbath is creeping up, and all of a sudden they realize, you know what? We're not gonna be able to make it to Jesus. We gotta get home so we're not breaking the Sabbath laws. Sometimes you just gotta go handle business yourself. Back to the little prayer point I made, sometimes you just gotta go to Jesus yourself. This is another little freebie. Like we need people around us who are gonna pray for us, but I really need to call out to God myself sometimes. I just got to ask him for help myself. I just have to cry to Jesus. But the Bible says that he's given us the authority in Hebrews chapter four to come boldly before him, to just barge right in to his house. When I go to my mom and dad's house, which I will be doing after I leave church because my mom will be, have made me a, a blessed lunch. When I get over there, I'm not going to knock on the door. I'm gonna open the door. And if the door is locked when I get there, I have a key to get into their house and open up. If I knocked on the door, my mom and dad would say, what is wrong with you? This is still your home too. That's how God treats us. He says, come boldly before me. We just barge right into his presence because he's purchased a way for us to get there. Go to Jesus yourself. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the centurion's faith because Jesus says, I have not found such faith in all of Israel. The centurion's faith is interesting because he's not supposed to be this bold with his faith. As a Gentile, as a Roman, as a person who's not a Jew, he's not supposed to have this kind of, of sure and solid faith in who God is, not just because he wasn't raised to understand who God is, but because the Jewish culture at the time viewed people who, who were not Jewish, who, who were Gentiles, who were born outside of a Jewish family, they viewed them as less than human. In fact, they refer to them as dogs. And Romans are even worse because the Romans are oppressing their entire nation. And the centurion's even worse than that because he's the guy commanding the soldiers who are oppressing their entire nation. So this centurion should not have the faith that he has. He's supposed to be an outcast to the nation of Israel. Something that is easy to gloss over whenever we read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is that, that when we're reading about the mission of Jesus, the, the, the purpose of Jesus is, is that he came first to serve the Jewish nation. He says that. I've come for the Jews in more than one place. He told people that. In fact, there's a story about a woman who was not a Jewish woman. She was a Gentile. She was from a city called Sidon and, and her son was sick and needed healed. And, and she approached Jesus and said, will you please heal my son? And he, seeing that she was not a Jewish woman says, I'm sorry. This isn't a story we like to talk about a lot. It doesn't come up a lot. It will come up as we study the Bible passage by passage. But he turns to the woman and he says, I'm sorry, I can't help you. I'm, I'm here for the Jews while I'm here on earth. And she begs and pleads with him, and, and, and she says, he says, I can't, I can't take the children's bread and feed it to the dogs. I, I can't do it. Now, I throw food off of my daughter's plate and give it to her dog all the time when my, daughter's, my, my wife's not looking. But God's better than that. He says, I can't take away from what belongs to my children, the nation of Israel, and, and give it to the people who are not my children. Now, now, Jesus isn't calling this woman a dog. What he's pointing out is the fact that God sent him on that mission to, while he was on the earth to prove to the Jews that, that 
that they needed to repent from their ways and turn and follow him. And he says, this is my mission. And she says, I know that you can't, I know that you can't throw away the children's bread, but, but don't the dogs come up to the side of the table and just wait for that? What she's saying is like, listen, I'm just, I'm just begging for something from you that I know your people don't really want from you. And so he heals her and he says something like, I've never seen faith like this in all of Israel. He comes to the Jewish people first so that they can understand that God has a plan for them. And what we eventually see throughout their history is that they rejected him and had him to be crucified by the Romans. But his mission initially was to the Jewish people. So why did this Gentile have faith? This is a question I had as I was studying it. Where did this faith come from? Well, the Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing. Uh, we can only assume, this is the part that's in between the verses that's, that's in the Bible, that at some point, uh, the centurion had heard stories about Jesus healing other people who were sick. The, the centurion had heard stories about other people who were on their deathbed, and Jesus came along, and he saved their life. And he brought them back to life and, and he fixed the situation that was ruined for them. We can only assume that he'd heard reports about Jesus and that is why he has faith. Again, the Bible says faith comes by hearing. If you want to grow your faith, go find stories of people who have had faith and seen what God has done in the midst of their faithfulness. Read the stories of the Bible of the people who had great faith. That will help grow our faith because our faith comes by hearing God's word. And Jesus calls his faith great. Now, in the passage that we read in the English Standard Version, it says, I haven't found such a faith in all of Israel. In the King James Version, he says, I haven't found so great a faith in all of Israel. In the plain English Version, which is just the way Joe talks, what he's saying is he got a lot of faith. Centurion's got a lot of faith. It's, it's a lot of faith. And, and here's why. Let's back up into the story. He could have gone himself. He doesn't go himself. He sends other people to go. And they, the elders of the Jews do make it to Jesus. And they say, will you come in and please heal this man's servant. Now, the, uh, this interesting point based on what I've said about the, the Jews and the Gentiles, because uh, the, the elders of the Jews should not be honoring this man's request. But we learn about him that he's a man who has integrity. He's a man who's respected by the Jewish people. In fact, they said, he built us a synagogue. He loves our nation. We don't know his story. We don't know why he loves their nation. Perhaps he's been stationed there for so long that they've become his people too. And now he's a generous benefactor to the community that he lives in. And so the elders of the Jews are willing to go to Jesus on his behalf and say, will you please come and heal this man's servant? And so Jesus begins to go. And while he's on his way, the centurion gets wind that Jesus is actually on his way. And so he says this, I, he sends some friends this time. Will you go tell Jesus that he doesn't even have to come to my house? I'm not worthy for him to enter into my house. I'm, I'm just a Gentile. I, I, I am not sufficient to host 
this, this rabbi, this, this miracle worker, this, this man. I'm not sufficient to host this man of God in my home. Will you stop him before he gets here and ask him just to speak the word to heal my servant? Now, this is interesting to me because every other story we hear about Jesus healing somebody, it's because people brought that sick person to Jesus or Jesus came across that sick person. In other words, he'd probably heard a lot of stories about people who get in the presence of Jesus can be healed. But there's something about his faith that is different than all of that. And that he sees that if Jesus is able to heal them in their presence, it probably is because he has authority over all things. And I, a centurion, am a man who understands how authority works. When I tell my men to go do this, they obey me because I have authority over them. If Jesus has authority over sickness, all he has to do is speak a word and it will obey him because he has authority over it. So he sends his, his friends to go tell him this. Like, don't, Jesus, you don't even have to come into my house. All you have to do is say it. Just say the word, and I know that he will be healed. It's interesting to me that Jesus, well, he refers to this man's great faith, we never see him rewarding someone's minuscule faith. There's no point in the Bible that I'm aware of in my study that I've ever seen a point where Jesus said, man, your faith is so small. I'm proud of you for that. Wow, you've got little faith. Good job. Keep going with your little faith. He never does that. In fact, more than once we read about him chastising his disciples for having little faith. And you might ask the question, well, what about that thing he said about the mustard seed? A mustard seed, he says, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds, but it grows into something great. We've taken that, that if you have faith of a grain of a mustard seed to, to, to mean that we sh as long as we have faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, God will see that and he can work. But that's not what Jesus says. He says, if you have the faith of a grain of mustard seed, which is even though it's so tiny, you put it in the ground and it grows to become this big thing that birds will even come and land on. What he says is this, that, that, that you may look like you, you have no possibility in front of you, that, there, that, there's no, that there's no way this could work out. There's no way something could change. There's no way God could come through. The, the, the situation looks so so drastically different from what you want it to be. The tiny mustard seed becomes something great. He's not saying have the faith of a mustard, have faith the size of a mustard seed, but have the faith of a mustard seed that, that you feel so small right now, but the, the great things that God can do can turn you into something completely different. So much bigger, so much larger. He's not rewarding tiny faith. He's rewarding this man's great faith. And maybe our issue with having small faith isn't that we don't have enough faith. Because the Bible says God has given to every man a measure of faith. We all have enough faith. God has hardwired it into us. Maybe the issue isn't that our faith is too small. It's that most of our faith is just placed in the wrong thing. And so the faith, the faith that we've placed in God is so much smaller 
than the faith that we've placed in ourselves. Maybe that's why the centurion doesn't go himself. He doesn't want to get in the way. He, he, does, he doesn't want to hinder what God can do apart from him. He doesn't want to pull too many strings. He doesn't want to use the authority of his presence to, to try and get Jesus to come through. He just knows all Jesus has to do is say the word. But most of the problems of my life are above my pay grade. It's just things I can't take care of. Things, things I can't handle. They're outside of my capability and outside of my strength. And yet in those moments when I think I can handle them and place more faith in myself than I place in God, I just watch how it all falls apart. Israel is the nation of faith. And Jesus turns to them and says, I haven't seen faith like this Gentile's faith in all of the nation of Israel. And it's interesting to me that God's people have a great tendency to become very self-reliant because we have watched God work for us. We've seen God do amazing things in our lives and they become so commonplace and normal that God is with us that we begin to, to blur the line between what God is doing and how wonderful I am. And things are just working out for me because I'm such a good and wonderful Christian. Isn't this what the elders of the Jews say to Jesus about the centurion? You owe him a healing. He's worthy of you to heal him. He, he loves our nation. He built us a synagogue. Look at what all of this man, all that this man has done for us. Jesus, God, you owe him because of all that he's done. He's worthy because of what he's built on our behalf. Contrast that with what the centurion says. I'm not worthy for you to come into my house. I'm, I'm not worthy for, for you to enter my home and, and, to, and to step through the door of my home. I'm not worthy for me to attempt to host someone like you. Just say the word, speak your word. It's also possible that the reason the centurion said, I'm not worthy for you to come into my home is that he completely understood Jewish culture at that time, which said that if a Jewish man entered a Gentile home, he became unclean, which basically means he's not allowed to worship in the temple. He's not allowed to go to church with everybody else. He has to go through some elaborate ceremony of killing an animal, sacrificing an animal in order to be cleansed and made whole again so that he can be part of the family of God again. There's this Jewish teaching at that time that said that if a Jewish man enters a Gentile's home, he will no longer be clean and can no longer worship God in the temple. I want to make a distinction real quick between the fact that it was a Jewish rule, but not a law from God. It had become a teaching that was so commonplace in their day that they just obeyed it. They believed it and obeyed it like they would as though it were God's law. You don't find that in the Old Testament scriptures, that if a Jewish man enters a Gentile's home, he becomes unclean. It was just one of those man-made laws that Jesus was always trying to overturn and kick out of their belief system. And so, Jesus 
when invited to come and heal this man, starts to make his way there. I wish the centurion wouldn't have stopped him. I wish he would have let him come into his home because then we could see that Jesus is, is, is showing them in that moment. Like it doesn't, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where, where you've been. It doesn't matter where you, who, who your parents are. It doesn't, doesn't matter where you've been sleeping. It doesn't matter what you've been smoking. It doesn't matter what you've been doing. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done or where you've been. God loves us. And this is why Jesus came for us. Not to, not to shut us out from one another, not to, not to bar doors up, not to say, I'm not coming in to your house until you get rid of that stuff that I don't like. That's not who Jesus is. He was making his way there and he chose to heal him because of the man's great faith before he got there. So often we think what makes us worthy are the things that we've done or the things that we don't do or the people we don't hang around with or the people that we do spend time with. We think that our worthiness before God depends so much upon us. And can I tell you that our worthiness before God, our salvation from our sin, our ability to be clean and right before God, our adoption into God's family as his children is way above our pay grade. We can't handle it. We're incapable of making that payment. The centurion says to Jesus, don't trouble yourself with me. Don't, don't be annoyed by having to come all the way here. Don't, 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 even, don't even trouble yourself with his problem. With his problem. He, he troubles himself with us. He lets himself be annoyed by us. And he isn't annoyed by us. This is why he came. We don't have to approach him in this manner and say, I'm so unworthy. You shouldn't come into my home. You don't belong here. Let me do some great things for you first. And, and then maybe he came to flip that upside down. This is the way that they believed God worked. That if you do enough good for him, he will show you favor and he will bless you and he will make your life good. He will do healings for you and miracles for you. And if everything's going right for you, it's because you must be serving God in some wonderful manner. If things are going bad for you, it must be because you've sinned somewhere and you've got some secret sin that you need to search your heart and repent of. And Jesus comes along and says, I'm not looking for any of that stuff, but your faith. Just believe that I am the one that God has sent to rescue you. Sometimes religious people, and this is, this is the people I'm talking about, that if, if we think that God's acceptance of us, God's blessing for us, that our worthiness before him is reliant upon our actions, that makes us a religious person. And sometimes religious people think that Jesus is over everything except themselves. Because I got it. I got it at this point. I've so figured it out that I, I don't really need God's help anymore. Oh, and he loves, I believe this. I can't find it in the Bible. I'm gonna do what Pastor Jeff does and step away. 
and say, I'll just say, I believe this, that he loves to watch those people who think they've got it all figured out stumble and trip and get into a mess and see just how much they really need him. Because even for the religious who think they have it all figured out, but don't, God's door of grace is so wide open. Our worthiness has nothing to do with the things that I've done. It has nothing to do with whether I make it to church every Sunday. Some of you would be out if that were the case. It has nothing to do with whether or not I read the Bible every day. It has nothing to do with whether or not I'm sinless every day. We would all be out if that were the case. It has everything to do with who Jesus is and what he's done and what he's come to do. The word trouble, when the, when the centurion says, don't trouble yourself, don't bother yourself to come here. In the, in the original language it was written in literally means don't, don't flay your skin wide open to come to my house. If you know how Jesus's life ends, it ends with his skin flayed wide open and hung on a cross. Like he, he troubles himself with us in that way. He, he, he wants to come into our house. He wants to invite us into his house because he was so willing to trouble himself with us. Trouble doesn't even feel like a, the right word for that. It, annoy doesn't even feel like the right word for that. It, it literally means flay your skin wide open. He says, do, you don't have to do that to come into my house. And Jesus says, yes, I do. And I will because I want to be with you. It has nothing to do with what we can do, it has everything to do with what he's done and his broken body and his flayed open skin and his blood that was shed for us and the life that he gave for us. That's what we rely on. That's where our worthiness comes from. And our faith in that is what makes him open to welcoming us into his home. Would you pray with me, Lord? I'm so thankful that we don't have to show up in all the right ways for you to show up for us. We don't have to prove ourselves worthy. We don't have to do all the right things and check all the right boxes and pray all the right prayers and read all the right books. Lord, I'm so glad that uh, when we go to the wrong places and we say the wrong things and when we do the wrong things and when we, when we do things that we think would let you down, Lord, I'm so glad that you don't let us go. It doesn't depend on us. Lord, if it could, we'd be sunk. I'm so thankful, Lord, that your word says, while we were still your enemies, you died for us. How much more now that we want to follow you, will you keep us? We love you, Lord, for that. We praise you. I pray as we leave here that our focus would be on what you have done, Lord, and who you are and how you change us 
not our own works, not our own righteousness, not our own ability to obey, not our own ability to follow through, not, not, our, not on our own ability to get it right every time and, and not drop the ball, Lord, but that it would be wholly and completely on you and what you've done. Lord, we love you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to support you and have you be a part of our community. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. There you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, and even contribute to the growth of the church through online giving. Or you can come see us in person on Sunday mornings in downtown Decatur. We can't wait to see you.